Hello and welcome to another episode of the Everything EV podcast, the podcast that is dedicated to everything electric. I'm your host, Charlie Atkinson, and in these episodes we'll be discussing everything to do with electric travel. So whether it be cars, bikes, boats or planes, we'll have it covered. We'll also have regular guests from within the industry, as well as other features such as electric car reviews, electric motorsport coverage and much, much more along the way. Be sure to subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts from to receive every episode as soon as it's released and please do go back and check out all our other episodes too. For this episode we're focusing on BP Pulse, one of the largest electric vehicle charging networks in the UK. Here to talk about the organisation and its work in electrification is Tom Callow. Tom has been involved with BP for more than four years and is now Head of Insight and External Affairs with a focus on electric vehicles and electric charging. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Before we get into it, could you just introduce yourself and tell everyone what it is you do? Hi, Charlie. Yeah, so I'm Tom Callow, Head of Inside and External Affairs for BP Pulse in the UK. Um, So I'm uh, primarily engaged with uh, a lot of our external stakeholders, um, so the likes of government departments, OZEV, Department of Business and uh, Energy and Industrial Strategy, for example. I work with all of our external uh, customer partners as well, so often speaking with our representatives from car manufacturers. And also looking at really at the, at the wider market. So looking at the EV market, which, as you know, uh, as EV Power knows, is, is uh, exploding in the UK. Um, so looking at the business, our internal data and, and, and surfacing insights from that, um, helping us to make decisions about how to move forward, but also taking insights from the external market as well. So what are the, what's the market doing, what are the competitors doing and so on, uh, and looking at where things are going in the market. So when did BP's journey into electrification and electric vehicle charging begin? So BP acquired uh, ChargeMaster in the summer of 2018. Um, I think it's fair to say BP was um, looking very seriously at electrification uh, quite a long time before that. So we were certainly on the radar, ChargeMaster, which is the business I came from, was certainly on the radar of BP. And I'm sure many others way, way before the summer of 2018. Um, and it, you know, it obviously uh, formulated an electric vehicle strategy and, and, and a strategy around providing electrification services. And, and it's really tied into um, you know, BP's commitment to become a, a net zero business and you know, help its cu- com- customers to um, get to net zero as well. So it's obviously you know, undergoing this transformation that Bernalini announced last February from an international oil company in IOC to an integrated energy company in IEC. And obviously a very logical step in that is to deliver electrification through, you know, mobility and convenience services, because you know, this, is, this is the way that a lot of vehicles, not necessarily all vehicles, but a lot of vehicles are going to be powered in the future. So going from the, the the form of power propulsion today to electrification is just a very natural step. Um, so I think actually at the time that BP was a BP acquired ChargeMaster, I said to someone to someone uh, the other day, you know, that I think there was this almost an immediate kind of shock and surprise, you know, the very second they heard about it, and then almost immediately there was actually this period of oh, actually that's very obvious, that's very natural. So there was almost this wow, it's a, this is amazing and really unexpected, and then people kind of let it sink in and thought actually, this is, this is really logical. So it's, it's, yes, it's kind of a big surprise, but it's a hugely logical move and a hugely smart move for BP. So um, I, I think people have realised that, you know, to get the, um, the transition underway at pace, um, companies like BP needed to step into it. So it's, um, it's great to see the, the changes we're seeing now in the market. I think it's really interesting that you refer to BP as an international energy company now, when many would still consider it an international oil company. So With all that investment that's gone into electric vehicle charging, would you say that the focus of the company has shifted onto electrification rather than just petrol and diesel now? 
I think the focus is on is on energy, right? So, the, so BP publishes a, a report every year called the Energy Outlook. Mm-hmm. Um, it's coordinated by um, a guy called a fantastic economist called Spencer Dale and his team, and it's it's really about w- w- where is the global demand for energy? Who who needs it? Where do they need it? How do they need it? Um, and looking at the trends about how it's going to change in future. So, um, what is clear is that there are going to be millions in the UK. You know, I'm just talking about the UK now. Millions and millions of electric cars by 2030. You know, we're projecting perhaps up to 12 million electric cars on the road by 2030. But what is equally clear is therefore that there will be millions and millions of petrol and diesel cars on the road. We know the, the car park in the UK is about 35 million. So you're going to have that mix of, of both EV and ICE for, for some time. You know, you're not going to get to a point of 100% of vehicles being EV for some time, if ever. You know, I, I personally believe there'll be you know, classic cars and other vehicles on the road that are, that are ICE powered for, for, for decades to come, possibly forever. Um, but they won't be driven uh, you know, as much as the, perhaps um, the, the sort of mass market vehicles are today. Um, so I think, I don't, I'm not sure it's, a, it's a necessarily a, a sort of a direct um, you know, substitution in terms of it's, 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 it's no, you know, a lack of focus on one area and a greater focus on the other. It's more about this, this transition from how vehicles are, moved, are powered and moved around um, and making sure that the energy is there to do that. So um, there's clearly huge demand now. So you know, for, for, there's still huge demand for oil and gas. Um, whether people like it or not, it's the way that, that a lot of uh, economic activity is delivered today is through, you know, is through oil and gas. So if you turned off the taps, I suspect that things would get pretty dicey quite quickly. Um, you know, if people couldn't get access to those products, you know, you'd stop getting um, people being driven to hospital because ambulances couldn't get around on, on, on diesel as they do today. You know, fire engines couldn't get out to put out fires. Hot shops would run out of food very quickly. So you'd see the kind of, you know, the collapse of society pretty quickly, unfortunately, if you, if you turn, turn these products away straight away. So it's this transition, I think, that's the important thing from, uh, you know, from, from one form of energy to another. That's, that's really what this whole story is about. Just to focus on that word transition, obviously you've been at BP for a number of years now. In that time, how have you seen the EV space grow and what have been some of the biggest changes you've witnessed firsthand to the industry? I think the biggest thing is that um, it, it, the biggest thing is that the market is now much more investable. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think if you rewind perhaps uh, not quite 10 years, but, but the sort of eight, eight year period, maybe um, there was still quite a lot of skepticism around, you know, would electric, are electric vehicles really going to take off in inverted commas? Are they going to be a big thing? Are they going to be a big feature of the market? You know, a hydrogen car is going to come along and, and steal their thunder and become the, the, the mass market solution quicker, for example. And there were genuinely conversations in sort of the middle part of the 2010s, you know, 2014, that alluded to that, you know, is this ever, is this market really going to kind of go from few thousand vehicles a year to hundreds of thousands of vehicles a year to millions of vehicles a year. Um, so the biggest change is, is how sort of definitive the market now is, how certain, certain it is. And I think that really corresponds to the certainty around the, um, the kind of trans- this transition point, right? The net zero point, um, which is, and I made this point recently in another podcast, is that I see a huge amount of consensus around the destination. There aren't many businesses uh, of any size, individuals out there that you'd speak to who would suggest that we shouldn't be working towards net zero or that the idea of decarbonisation is somehow bad. I think there's an agreement on what we need to get to, how and, 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 and you know, um, the end game. We need to decarbonise rapidly. Um, we obviously need to get to, to net zero. The, the debates that are happening now um, 
and the discussions are really about the speed that we get there and the methods by which we get there. So what technologies do we use? How quickly can we deploy them? How quickly can they scale up and so on? So in the same way that there's that consensus around the destination of where we need to get to, but the debate is around the how, I think with the, the market, we now have this, this confidence in the market that we are going to the mass adoption of EVs and thus in our world, in EV infrastructure, there is a huge amount of confidence and certainty in investing and deploying that infrastructure because ultimately you know that it's going to be needed, you know that it's going to be used. So this is then about how, how do you deploy it, where do you deploy it, how quickly do you deploy 20 charges at once in an area, do you deploy two, you know, and, and, and so on. So I think that the biggest change is that investability and the confidence that people have in, in this growing market. So BP obviously acquired Charge Master, you've seen other major acquisitions, um, you know, one, one recently this morning, um, and you know more and more capital coming into this market to really move move things on, and that that gives me huge confidence, and it should give hopefully drivers confidence as well. Because one thing we do see is this: there's a slight tendency towards pessimism when it comes to electric vehicles, particularly infrastructure. I, I often sense that there is this suspicion that it won't happen. There is this underlying suspicion that for some reason that nobody can quite explain to me, electric vehicle infrastructure simply won't be there or there, is, there won't be enough of it, or it won't happen quickly enough. And I, I, I don't know why there's that suspicion, because you know, this is, a, as I say, a highly investable market. There's lots of capital going into it. Um, I think there were probably some, some fairly um, you know, tales of woe uh, from, from early adopters who had to go through that pain of you know, very few charging points, and, and the ones that were there weren't always necessarily reliable, to a much better situation today, much higher level of reliability, um, availability and accessibility to charges. So, you know, I think it's about, uh, you know, giving people that confidence that, that the infrastructure will be there, um, is, is indeed there today, but will increasingly be there from now until 2030 and beyond. And actually, if you want to choose an electric car, if you want to switch to an electric car now, you, you should have the confidence to do so. You just touched on there some of the investment that BP has made into EV charging. Could you walk us through some of the key moves the company has made? And just off the back of that subject of criticism and scepticism, how has that investment helped answer some of those critics of electric vehicles and electric charging? I mean, a couple of great ones um, that, that are fairly recent is one, um, well, I guess there's a, there's, a, there's a couple in the same sort of space, but um, it, it, one is around uh, an agreement that we signed with a company called Freewire Technologies, they're based in San Francisco. We've, um, they make a, a sort of battery, battery integrated charger, it's called a boost charger. Um, now, the really cool thing about that is that it allows you to deliver ultra-fast charging speeds um, without necessarily needing the same level of uh, sort of grid capacity, grid connection that you would typically need for a, for a non-battery integrated charger. Um, so where people are suggesting, for example, that you might only see rapid ultra-fast charging in cities and towns and that rural areas are going to be left out or areas where grid capacity is poor are going to be left out, you know, solutions that we are bringing to market like uh, bringing to the UK like the free wire charger um, are one of the ways that we can help address those kind of concerns and say, look, we, we are find, finding products, we're finding methods and, and technologies that will help us address those areas that people are worried about. You know, will there be charging rural areas? Will I be able to charge uh, at those kind of speeds all over the country, not just in the uh, wealthy you know, urban areas or whatever? Um, so I think the, 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 the point around sort of um, where, where charging can be will, will be solved quite quickly. Um, I think in terms of the, uh, the kind of coverage point and this, this idea of um, the mass market and mass adoption and type infrastructure, you know, we announced that we're starting to develop um, ultra fast charging hubs. So dedicated EV hubs. So we're not talking, you know, 
as a, as a complementary form of infrastructure to the forecourt rollout we're doing. So obviously, you know, BP has about 1,200 branded forecourts across the UK. It owns about a third of those. Uh, with they, they are the primary target for deploying ultra-fast charging for kind of that local need where the forecourt is your local mobility hub, if you like. Um, but then obviously on, uh, on other routes, um, in, other, in other areas to uh, you know, support other needs and other use cases, we're developing the ultra-fast charging hubs that are new sites. So these aren't us putting charges on a forecourt. These are us building a dedicated facility um, that EV drivers will be able to go and use. You know, there'll be canopies, there'll be potential driver lounge, toilets, Wi-Fi, refreshments, food and drink, et cetera. Uh, and you'll be able to obviously pull up, you know, get charging speeds of up to 300 kilowatt uh, while you're, you know, having a quick coffee for 10 minutes or what have you. Um, so those kind of types of infrastructure are what you'll see much more of in the years to come. Um, you know, and we, we had to start somewhere as an industry, so I don't just mean us, but other players have to start somewhere. So yes, you've, you've seen us go through that uh, phase of, you know, deploying single or double kind of installations of rapid chargers in certain areas, because bluntly, that's what the market demanded at that point. You know, there wasn't the the utilization there to support someone coming and installing a hub of 30 rapid chargers five years ago. There just wasn't the, the use, use case for it. So I think now you're going to start seeing that as we've got this huge market growth of vehicles. You know, we've seen registrations already hit 100,000 this year alone. Um, so you, you, you are confident as, a, as an infrastructure operator, you're going to see that level of utilization, you're confident in the, in the investment case. So that's what's driving this, uh, this deployment now of this um, you know, larger forms of infrastructure scale out. So I think those are just two examples of the kind of investments or the kind of moves we're making. Uh, and others are making the same, right? And there's a, there's a point here to be made that you know, it's a competitive market in the UK. There's lots of, lots of investment, lots of players. Um, you know, we, we are, uh, you know, we're happy to be, be, be playing a leading role in the market. Um, but, you know, we, we are you know, very respectful of the fact that, you know, everyone's driving at the same goal here and, and drivers are actually going to see huge growth in infrastructure over the next few years. Obviously, there are other competitors out there and Shell, for example, has announced plans for a series of fast charging hubs recently. But also there are a lot of companies similar to BP that have yet to move into that space. I'm not sure if you'll be able to answer this, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on what might be stopping them from moving into EV charging. Um, I, I mean, I, I think you'll see you'll see much more investment across the board in, in EV charging for sure. Um, Clearly, uh, you know, one of the things that, that the sort of charge master business brought to BP was a, was a knowledge of the, of the market um, and, and a huge amount of data as well. Um, and that's, that's really important in understanding, you know, where charging is working well, where the demand spot, hotspots are and so on is, is the data that actually helps you make those decisions. So, you know, BP brings a wealth of data to the table in terms of, you know, knowing where existing traffic flows are, you know, where are the busiest forecourts, where are the busiest sort of areas today for, for, for vehicles moving around. Um, you know, we've got a, a database of over 40 million or so uh, charging sessions, you know, various types, various uh, different, different methods of charging uh, that we can obviously tap into as well and overlay that and say, well, where are, where are the hotspots for charging today? Do they overlay with where we have, uh, you know, forecourt assets? Can we, can we match those two things together? So being able to actually look at the data and analyze uh, and make decisions based on that actionable insight is, is really key. Um, but I think, uh, as I say, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very confident, very, very, uh, optimistic about the, the future in terms of the, the, pay, you know, the pace that, that um, you know, we will see. Uh, you know, only this morning there was, a, there was an announcement for, from a company about an acquisition in this space. And, and I saw some of the comments from electric vehicle drivers saying, wow, it just feels like every day or every week I'm waking up to big news about infrastructure in the UK. And that, that, is, that for me, is, is, a, is a great indicator that people are seeing this, this activity. Um, 
rather than this pessimistic noise of, you know, well, we'll never have enough. You know, it's, it's always going to be uh, very difficult to drive an EV in the UK when you know, patent isn't today. Um, and I think this is what we need to hear more of. And that's what people will hear more of over the coming kind of months and years is, is you know, good news, more investment, more infrastructure. And hopefully that will just continue to grow the confidence and the reassurance that actually, uh, you know, the transition will be, will be, uh, will be uh, you know, much, much easier probably than some of the sceptics uh, suggest at the moment. Yeah, I think it's interesting that there's still this battle between the so-called sceptics and pessimists and those that are well on board with electric vehicles. As someone who works in the industry and lives and breathes electric vehicles, do you get frustrated when you're faced with those sceptics or do you see it as more of a, we need to communicate what we're doing better and, and make people more aware of the infrastructure that's available and the infrastructure that's going to come? I mean, I think if there's someone, uh, I'd rather change a mind than, than sort of have a pointless argument. So um, I think a lot of this comes down to education and a lot of it is simply around a lack of awareness and a lack of um, education around you know, the current situation, but also the future. So a lot of the, the myths that you see perpetuated, a lot of the sort of arguments you see are, are completely invalid, but, but the, the person making them thinks they're valid because they don't have the evidence to, to, to sort of counter it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and there's obviously ones that are, that are, that are perhaps um, slightly more sort of uh, strained, but, but there are genuine, you know, we, we have a, a, an electric vehicle experience centre in Milton Keynes that we operate um, on behalf of Milton Keynes Council. And the team there, a great team of, uh, of EV gurus, uh, if anyone's, uh, if any of listeners are based in Milton Keynes and want to go for a test drive there, uh, it's a great facility. And they, they've done a survey of their visitors who are, you know, all these people are visiting electric vehicle experience centre, they're interested in electric cars. And uh, over a third of the people that visited had no idea you could rapid charge an electric car. Uh, they did a survey recently. So over a third had no idea you could charge an electric car in less than an hour. They all thought it would take out that, that 35% people all thought it must take hours. So you've got a 35, you know, a third of people of, of engaged consumers thinking that it's going to take them hours to charge an electric car, hopefully being delighted to learn that it doesn't and they can charge in you know, half an hour or 20 minutes or what have you, so 80%. Um, so I think, you know, you've got this, uh, you've got this huge job of education that he's doing and we have a job to do in that as BP and BP Pulse. And you've got a job to do as EV Power, and the car manufacturers have got a job to do, and everyone else has as well, and government. Uh, and we've all got to pull together to make sure that education is there and, and the right message is getting across. So I, I think it's, I don't think there's many people who are sort of willingly anti-electric vehicle just for the sake of it. I just think that they haven't been told why the problems they think are there are the problems. Um, and it's, you know, it's everything from thinking you can't drive through a car wash to thinking that you know batteries are all going to end up on a, scra a, a scrap heap at the end of their lives and actually they'll be recycled instead um so it's all of those it's all of those things uh, but i think education is the key uh and i while it frustrates me a little bit i i'm hopefully very quick to actually try to convince that person that actually you know that they have reason to be confident as opposed to uh to be uh skeptical about the ev transition just on that subject of education, you mentioned that part of the responsibility lies with government. As one of the largest electric vehicle charging networks in the UK, has BP Pulse interacted with government in any way in terms of electric vehicle charging? Uh, yeah, we've uh, we've very strong relationship with government and uh, relevant departments. Um, we've given evidence at select committee inquiries in the past um, and, and obviously given our views as a, as a business to, to where we see this transition happening. But I think, um, you know, I think that you know I was you know, involved in Charge Master when the uh, the first sort of office for low emission vehicles then was was set up. O11 now it's OZEV. Um, you've already seen that transition from low emission to zero emission. 
Uh, and you know, I think that that in itself was a great, a, a, you know, a great idea to set up this kind of cross-functional department that actually would would help guide sort of policy and activity in this area, as opposed to having it in silos in different departments. That was a, a great a great idea. Uh, there's now a huge team in OZEP. I mean, I, I remember there being maybe a half a dozen people, and now it's I lose track of how many people now work there. It's, it's a great great uh, sort of cross-functional uh, area. Um, and I think that a lot of the, the policy you're seeing and, and the sort of fiscal uh, policy as well is is actually making sense. So um, if you think about the, uh, the the plug-in car grant, for example, the, the recent cut in the plug-in car grant uh, for new vehicles, um, you know, regardless of whether you, you disagree or agree with it, you know, one of the observations that I have is that uh, what you saw immediately after the announcement that the grant was being kind of reduced in terms of the, the price cap was you saw several manufacturers reduce the price of their cars. Now that is that is something that you know people want to see happen. You know, we know that. Um, a lot of people think it's infrastructure, but the, the recurrent point around EV adoption and the barriers to it, or if there are any, is that the, the vehicles are still too expensive for all the consumers. So being able to reduce the price is really important. If you can pull a lever as government and get that change, get to reduce the price of the vehicles, surely that's a good thing. So actually, I think there's a, uh, I'm sure government gets a bashing uh, in some in some areas, but actually I think we've got a, we've got a good, uh, a, a good set of policies in the UK at the moment. Um, there's, there's, as I say, reasons to be optimistic, reasons to be cheerful. Um, there, are, there are various things that uh, you know, we, we talk to uh, government about and, and things that we I think could be improved or changed. Um, but I think in, in the round, you know, we've got a very supportive landscape in the UK for this transition. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and we've, we've been fortunate about the way things have evolved, I think, so far. Okay, great. And now just finally, we've spoken about the current state of the industry and the moves that will be made in terms of electric vehicles and electric charging. But could you just try and paint a picture of what you think the EV space will look like in the next five years or so? Great question. I think um, the I think one of the big changes people will see is in the in the vehicle themselves. So I think there'll be a, a few key features of the vehicles that people may not may not expect today, and, and I think they'll see in five years. And one is, one is obviously the model mix. We know there's about 40 or 50 electric vehicles you can buy today. That's about 10% of the total number of models available. So there's well over 300, you know, 350 uh, petrol and diesel cars you can choose from, and, and, and you know, there's about 40 or 50 different electric models. So we know there's, a, there's an issue in choice of, of vehicle type. You know, if you need a, an electric estate car or a seven-seater, your, your choices are pretty limited. Um, I think there'll also be a, a, a quite a radical shift in technology and, and one of the key things will be speed of charge so the ability for vehicles to charge very quickly uh, as I say this this 35 percent people that didn't think they could charge in you know in anything less than an hour but actually you'll be charging a lot quicker than that in, in five years time in, in the latest electric cars on the market so you'll see you know mainstream models with 200 plus kilowatt charging you've already seen that from Hyundai and Kia with vehicles coming out this year that are capable of those really ultra fast speeds um, and, and you know ch charging hundreds of miles of range in a matter of minutes uh, I think in terms of the uh, in terms of the uh, other aspects, I think the the used market will be much more buoyant. So you've seen a huge adoption of electric vehicles through fleets or businesses in the last twelve months or so, and you'll see that this year, next year as well. So lots of vehicles coming through salary sacrifice schemes, lots of vehicles being adopted into uh, corporate fleets. Those vehicles, you know, are big chunky volumes of vehicles that will go into the used market in a few years' time and help again to push pressure on prices as supply creeps up prices will lower and you'll see a lot more people being able to afford a second-hand electric car, a lot more used electric cars transacting um, you know, in the next few years. So that's going to be a real feature of probably you know, five years' time. You'll see a lot more people buying used electric cars than you do today 
whereas the focus is much more on, on, on new vehicles. And I think in infrastructure, you will see this um, you know, abundance of not only faster charging, but you'll see more of it as in higher profile installations, uh, more, more visible installations of those high power charging uh, in a more you know, ubiquitous fashion, which people will, again, give people confidence to switch. Electric vehicle drivers will use it, but petrol and diesel car drivers will see it and they will see it and they'll know that they can actually use it and, 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 uh, and reliably switch over. So that's going to be great. And I think you will, uh, you know, have this ability to actually start just driving without planning. Um, at the moment, I think it's, it's still likely that a lot of electric vehicle drivers are, are looking at a longer journey, maybe not the drive to the shops, of course, but a longer journey and thinking, okay, where am I going to stop to charge if I need to charge or what charge points are on the way if I do need to charge? I think you will get to a point in five years or start to get to a point in five years where a lot of people will be getting in the car and just driving. Now, whether that's the, the car sat-nav, knowing where all the charge points are, having that live data, being able to dynamically reuse those charge points without you having to pre a pre-plan uh, or whether that's just that there's so much infrastructure that actually you don't need to you don't need any you, know, you can just find it as if you do today you know, no nobody searches on a map for petrol stations today really they just find one as they need it and i think that's what we need to get to is if we're still having to plan journeys on a map or an app you know in five ten years time we probably won't have succeeded as an industry a big big thank you to tom and bp pulse for coming on to the podcast this week if you enjoyed this episode and want to listen to more from the Everything EV podcast, then subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts from and have a listen to all of our other guests. For daily news coverage, features and much more, you can head over to our website at evpower.co.uk and you can also find us on YouTube, Instagram and Twitter. That's all for this episode. Thanks once again for listening and we'll see you next time on the Everything EV podcast.